Good morning, everybody. Welcome. I'm uh, Claude. I'm the uh, lead pastor. Me and my wife, Meredith, lead pastor here at Centerway. And uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. For those of you that don't know, I am getting over a bout of uh, double pneumonia. I don't know if that's about or not. If it's about, I've lost. Um, but uh, uh, So I'm going to do my best to not cough my brains out. And uh, if you can do your best to kind of hear through my raspy voice, then uh, I'm excited to uh, journey with you as we kind of wrap up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 actually today. We're in the midst of a series called On Second Thought, On Second Thought, and uh, this morning's message title is That Doesn't Matter, That Doesn't Matter. So On Second Thought, That Doesn't Matter. And um, we're kind of continuing uh, a, a series as we journey through 1 Corinthians. It was written by uh, the Apostle Paul. He planted the church in Corinth, and now he's, uh, he's writing a letter uh, in response to a letter that they've written him. And so there's kind of this correspondence that's taking place uh, by the Apostle Paul. And um, that's what we're sort of picking up here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to, like I said, close off chapter 9 today uh, before we pick up chapter 10 next week. Um, so I'm going to be reading verse 13 through 27. And so if you'd like, you can follow along with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. It'll be projected. Um, but let's go ahead and read together. Beginning in verse 13, it says, uh, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For the necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I, I have a reward. But if not my own will, I am entrusted with a, with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the, all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we pray that your presence would remain in this place. Your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. We thank you for your presence here, and we pray that as we lean in to see what it is that your word has for us today, that we would be forever marked by the truth of your gospel, that it would um, not only win us this morning, but that it would grow us, that you would challenge us, that we would leave this place uh, living differently as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there's, a, there's kind of a litany of things that are taking place in this text. Um, we'll talk a little bit about context as far as what's happening in the church in Corinth and into the Corinthian people, why it is that um, he starts talking about a race, why that makes sense in their culture. Um, but as I started uh, looking at the text, I was reminded of, uh, 
of a friend of mine when I was in college that uh, started to tell me all excited that he was going to go uh, purchase this, uh, this game unit. Um, I can't really remember. I racked my brain. I even tried to, to Google what came out in what year to figure out which one it was. I'm not exactly sure what it was. I don't know if it was a certain PlayStation or if it was the first time the Xbox came out. I really don't know uh, what it was, and, and I'm not really into a lot of gaming, to be honest with you. But uh, in college, we had um, a, uh, an apartment that we lived together, and, and so in this apartment, we had uh, stadium seating. And the way that we did the stadium seating is we uh, borrowed a, uh, a, bunch of, um, a bunch of exercise mats from the gym that were like these step stool things. And uh, we stacked them on top of each other. And then we put couches on top of them. And then we put couches in front of them a little bit lower. And then we put couches on the ground. So we had stadium seating of couches in our living room. And then we had a wall of all of our televisions. And back then, televisions had tubes. It was weird. Ask your parents. Anyway, in either case, we had this wall of televisions with stadium couch seating. It was incredible. And so we had all the games on all the time. Uh, We had found a way to borrow some cable. And so we had uh, some way to watch different games that we weren't even paying for. And so it was kind of this uh, cool sort of experience. And so one of my friends would uh, set up some of his gaming equipment. And so he would play different games. And it was well before you could like play people via the internet. So instead, it was kind of like this tournament where they would play against each other. And, and honestly, like I said, it was kind of lost on me. I wasn't very good at it. And I would sort of get disoriented and a little bit sick when I would watch these different screens playing. And um, in either case, he was super excited. He said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go camp. I was like, one more time. He's like, I'm going to go camp so that I get the first unit. Like, I get to buy one of these units. And I was like, okay, so the thing that you guys need to know is that undergrad, I went to school outside of Philadelphia. Nobody camps in Philadelphia. Like, what in the world are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's an area where we can camp overnight so that when the mall opens, we're the first ones in. I was like, wow, that sounds stupid. And he's like, no, it's amazing, man. We're going to sit there all night. You want to come? I was like, definitely not. Definitely not. And so they did. They, they camped out. And um, <clears throat> he was so excited. He was excited about this opportunity to purchase something. And if you, if you go with me a little bit further, this is a, you know, a, a starving college student, somebody that didn't have a whole lot of excess money. And uh, I was like, so when are you going to camp out? He's like, well, tonight. We're going to go out there tonight. I was like, don't you have to work? He's like, oh, I'm taking the day off. It's like, you're taking the day off? He's like, yeah. I was like, so you're losing a day of pay. Yeah. So I can be like the first group of people to buy this thing. Like, so is it on sale? Do you get 50% off? He's like, oh, no, 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 full price, full price. But they only have so many of them. So I got to be one of the ones that get to buy them before they sell out. I was like, I don't understand what's happening right now. You're going to take a day off of work in order to be allowed to buy something that is inherently overpriced. He's like, dude. I'm like, well, he's like, why can't you just be excited? I was like, because that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, it's good. So I asked how much it cost. And I don't remember the exact amount, but I remember it was in the hundreds. Enough for me to be like, what in the world? And he's like, what? I was like, do you have that kind of money? He's like, well, I got to not pay some bills in order to, I was like, what is going on? So you're taking a day off of work. You're going to sleep on the sidewalk in a tent outside of Philly, probably going to die, potentially get robbed because everybody knows that those little tents are full of stupid people with cash. And so it's like, you know, like what is happening? And then when the doors open, you're going to rush in and say, please, please, please take this money that I can't really, really afford so that I can buy one of those first. He's like, well, when you say it like that, I'm like, that's what's happening. That is exactly what's happening. And he's like, I think it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Whatever. You can just say you don't want to go. It's totally worth it. And he's like talking himself up as he's walking outside the door. And so the question I have to ask you today is why do we sacrifice for what's temporal? 
Why do we sacrifice for what's temporal? And if you don't know what I mean by temporal, it's, it's what's fleeting, what's of this world, what's going to rot. Here's the deal. I guarantee that if I reconnected with that friend right now and asked him if he still had that gaming machine, he'd be like, oh, no way. Why? Because the minute he bought it, it was depreciating. Like within a month, it was old. Within six months, it was like, I don't even think I want this anymore. Within a year, he was trying to sell it probably and getting in line for something else. And yet there was so much sacrifice involved. A day off of work. Money he couldn't afford. Like, he's all in. Why do we sacrifice for stuff that's just going to rot? It's just going to get old. I want to submit to you that we do that because we haven't spent very much time planning and living intentionally. Doesn't that sound encouraging? (laughs) You're not very intentional with the way you live your life. Think about it, though. In large part, we're a gratification-based society. If it feels good, we want to do it. If it's, if it's a, a niche, if it's something that's a hobby, if it's something that we feel good about while we're doing, then we want to participate. In fact, we'll sacrifice in order to be a part of it. Statistically, there's a large faction of us in this room that are actually geared towards even instant gratification. This means as humans... Christians or not, and I realize there's a mixture in the room. There's people that profess Christ and people that are like, hey, I'm not even sure that God is real. But Christian or not, as a human being, you want what you want and you want it now. That's just the truth. You can make it sound more like pleasant and more um, noble, but the fact is at the end of the day, you want it like yesterday. That's why the drive-through is a thing of brilliance. Think about how ridiculous that is. You talk into a box. Anybody coming from a different time would be like, what are you doing? You speak into a box making demands of what you'd like. Then you pull up to a window. This is when it really got me, is when you turn over your money for something you don't have yet. You're like, I'd like to pay for what it is I just told that box I want. And they're like, we'll take your money. We'll take it all. And so they take your money, and then in faith, you pull forward to the next window, and if you have to wait, you start to get mad. You're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me right now? You have not made my entire meal in the 2.3 seconds it took me to pull from that window to this one? Come on, people, get it together. It's called fast food for a reason, and this is not very fast. And they show up with a bag full of death. <laughs> and you grab it all happy, like a little pig off to the slaughter. <laughs> you're like, and you're like, you can't even wait till you get home. Like it, it's what our society functions on, this idea of instant gratification. And we're manipulated that way all the time, time and time again. Hey, Amazon Prime, it'll come right to your door. Like two days. One day, what if a drone flew it? You're like, oh, oh, don't you tease me. You know, like, why? Like, we push a button, we're like, how is it not here yet? We're totally messing up our kids. Because our kids think that, like, food just appears, right? They walk up, I'm hungry now. Like, okay, these things are called hands. You can make a sandwich for the love of God. They're like, doesn't it just appear? Can we Amazon Prime it? instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now. We feel entitled to it. My goodness, right? After all, we're American. Give me what I want. In fact, in 2016, Psychology Today published an article on 10 reasons why people move toward instant gratification. It's a fascinating list. The first one is not rocket science. The number one reason is a desire to avoid delay. A desire to avoid delay. That's why. I just want what I want. Second, uncertainty. They're not sure that things are going to pan out the way they want it to, and so they'd rather have what they want now. Because if I'm not sure about tomorrow, give it to me now. Third, intriguing, is age. 
age. The younger you are, the higher the expectation of instant you have. And it's not simply because of um, technology, it's because you haven't lived enough life to realize that the thing that you want doesn't really pay off. The older you get, you realize, I've had that before, it's not so impressive. I was amazed at how unimpressed my grandfather was with just about everything. I was just like, like, look, Grandpa, the entire library in my hand. Huh. How much you pay for that? I can access the whole library. Yeah, how much you pay for that? Okay, forget it. You're not impressed. <laughs> Number four, imagination. They say people that desire instant gratification have a lesser capability of an envisioned future that's better than their current reality. Isn't that interesting? I can't imagine that tomorrow is going to be better than today, so I'll just take that now. Hmm. Fifth, cognitive capacity. And what that means is they don't consider the consequences of taking what they want now. They don't have the cognitive capacity to say, this is going to cost me something. Hey, if I take a day off of work and I pay more money than I have, this is going to really pan out poorly for me. A lack of cognitive capacity. Sixth, poverty. That when people have less, they want immediate in fear that they won't have it tomorrow. And so it's this poverty mentality that I should consume today because tomorrow's not promised. Number seven, impulsiveness. I look around, there's a line. I should get in line. Why? I don't know. What are we waiting for? It's an amazing study done where they would create these fake lines. They would just put up a post and people would start line. They'd pay the first five people to stand in line and then people would just gather. What are we waiting for? I don't know. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And so then they start taking pictures. This is current. They take pictures and post it on their social media. I'm 10th in line. What are you waiting for? I don't know. What? You just put your life on pause. You're waiting, some of them waiting an hour to two hours only to be informed that they've waited for nothing. They would get moved around and then wait in line again. How would you love to be a part of that study? How did there not be lawsuits come out of that? Number eight, emotion regulation. Emotion regulation. We have an emotional response to something, and so therefore we want it. Isn't that interesting? That our emotions will dictate our desires more often than not, if we're not cautious. That we have an emotional response, and so therefore we make a decision not considering, with cognitive capacity, the consequences of the decision we're making. Nine. The importance of mood. Importance of mood. There's this phrase called, when time, time flies when you're having fun. And so, if you're having fun, then hey, you can avoid the reality and consequences of your life. We're just having fun, man. Time's flying by. I don't even have to think about my responsibilities. I don't have to think about life. I can just have fun. I just want what I want right now. It's amazing. Number 10. Anticipation. People just don't want to anticipate any longer. I want it right now. Okay, give it to me. I'll take it right now. You see, if you, if you don't have kids, watch somebody else's kids on Christmas morning. You're like, simmer down, tiger. What's happening right now? They're like foaming at the mouth. Like, can I open one? Can I open one? Can I open? Like, do you realize if you open them all right now, you'll be done in like 30 seconds. They're like, I've considered that. I'd like to open them all right now. <coughs> you see, living in the moment often leads to regret. It often leads to regret. Here's the tragic thing about the list that I just gave. Disturbingly, the list looks an awful lot like intentional marketing. That society actually markets to say, you can have it right now. They market in such a way where they show people whose moods 
are wonderful. I can't help but think about the litany of people that are suffering the consequences of cancer today because of the Marlboro Man. He just looks so darn cool. Smoking his cigarette up there, like, what's going on? Like, oh my gosh, he's so awesome, he's so tough. I should smoke cigarettes. It's what our society has done is it sells this emotional idea that, listen, you can have what you want. You can jump higher. You can run faster. You can be stronger. How? You just wear this. Really? Yes. And these women will want to hang out with you. I'm sold. I should get in line. I should pay more than I can afford for those shoes. I should pay more than I can afford for that shirt. You know what? Actually, my parents should. I think I deserve it. I'm a good kid. I mean, after all, I wake up every morning. You're welcome. <laughs> right? It's the world we live in. It's the, the marketing actually drives towards younger ages, towards the reality of cert uncertainty. This poverty mentality speaks into an imagination of a future that they determine, look, your reality could look this way. You have so little plans for your life. Let me tell you, this narrative that you could participate in. It's tragic. You know what? It's not just possessions. It's not just stuff. It goes beyond that. It, it, it goes into to areas that we deem deserving of. I just want silence. I deserve that. I want it now. Quiet. Everybody. I deserve it. The list goes on to things that are even not tangible. So if you're sitting there this morning and you're like, I I'm not like that. Like, I, I don't want th that stuff. I don't fall for those marketing schemes. Well, you are. You're still falling for the idea that you want and deserve something right now, whether it's a nap, solitude, a break. So I ask you, how purposely are you living your life? Or are you being manipulated? Are you being manipulated by maybe society? Maybe by your own desires? I actually assume that although there's a mixture of us here this morning, we probably have more intentional people here than unintentional. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Probably most of us are living on purpose. And so I have a question for you. I want you to think of a goal. What's a goal that you have in your life right now? Don't say it out loud. Don't talk to the person next to you or anything like that. Just think for a second, what's a goal that you have? Maybe to be debt-free, to be healthier, take a vacation. Maybe it's to get that gaming station or whatever. I, I don't know. A new job. Whatever it is, a goal that you have. Just think about one. As you think about that goal, I want to ask you, what's the eternal value of that goal? What's the eternal value of the goal you just thought of? Now, I'm not trying to be a killjoy. I'm not sitting here being like, well, if that doesn't have to do with Jesus, your goal's terrible. You're going to hell with your nasty little dirty goal. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm really not. I just think that we get lulled to sleep by temporal goals and we sacrifice for them. We sacrifice for them. We think, you know what, I'm gonna be this. I'm gonna accomplish that. I'm gonna do this and we sacrifice tirelessly for things that never ultimately pay off because they're temporal, they're fleeting, they're dying, they're getting old. Listen, being debt-free, being healthier, taking a vacation, these are all good things. But they're terrible, ultimate things. They're terrible, ultimate goals. So let's look at the focus of Paul just for a second. In verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not myself, 
sorry, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Isn't it interesting? If we look at the focus of Paul, people often take this passage of scripture out of context to justify kind of their reckless lives and their sinful decisions. Like, hey, being all things to all people, so give me a hit of that heroin. You know, he's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, and they put themselves in compromising situations in order to say that they're being all things to all people, but that's not what Paul is saying. It's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he doesn't enter into sin. He makes very clearly that he doesn't function outside of the law of God. And in verse 27, which we'll look at in a second, he even says that he doesn't want to disqualify himself. So Paul isn't saying any of that. What he's saying is he's living his life in a way that is focused. He's living his life intentionally that he might save some. Verse 23 sums it all up, and he says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul is saying, I live my life for the gospel. This is him reiterating that he gladly sets aside his rights, his place in society, his status. When he's saying, I become weak to the weak, when he's saying, when he goes through the litany of, I'll become this person to that person, what he's saying is, he's not going to come from a place of position and a place of power and look down at others. Instead, he's going to sit beside the broken. He's going to go to the person that's hurting and he's going to say, it doesn't matter that we have different ethnicity. He's going to look at someone at a different socioeconomic class and he's going to sit beside them and say, it doesn't matter that I'm wealthy and you're poor. What matters is the truth of the gospel. And so therefore, I will become all things to all men. In other words, I'm going to level the playing field of humanity and I'm going to engage people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Because I'm not going to live my life according to the rules of society. I'm not going to play the game of popularity. I'm not going to play the game of position or authority. I'm going to live my life for the gospel. Intentional. He's saying he's not about the temporal. It's not about him. It's not about him. It's so funny, I, I remember although it was a lifetime ago now, I, I remember my high school years. And I remember this idea and this sense of, of belonging and value attached to who was friends with who, who sat with who, how you dressed, what you played or didn't play or intentionally wouldn't play all these different classifications of people and everyone striving to fit in and belong. And I am yet to get an updated list of who the cool kids are. Like I don't get an updated annual list of like, here's the people that count and here are the people that don't. And yet for that window of time, it felt like my entire life was just saturated with something that I thought was going to determine the rest of my life. And immediately upon graduation, it didn't matter at all. Immediately. In fact, it hit restart the minute I walked onto a college campus. So for four years of my life, I watched people struggle to fit in and belong. To what end? And then at the college campus, it was like it started all over. It was a restart. Because it's a struggle we never get out of. It's a struggle rooted in our identity. Who are we and what are we living for? If we're living for the approval of others, then we're playing a game that we're never going to win. If we're living a life that refuses that we want the approval of others, then we're playing a lonely game that we'll never win either. 
You see, so whether you're playing intentionally outside of the rules or if you're playing intentionally within the rules, you're still playing. And it doesn't end. It goes on to college, to the workplace, to the neighborhood, to every area of your life because of the brokenness of humanity and our desire to belong. Unless you're living for something eternal. And so do you sacrifice for what's temporal? I, um, some time ago, was visited by a, a friend of mine that I knew in high school, ironically enough. He set up an appointment at the church that I worked at. He wanted to meet with me. I thought he was going through something in his life. Turns out that he was an insurance salesman, and uh, he wanted to sell me some insurance. And so I sat as he gave this amazing, compelling, uh, I guess, sales pitch on life insurance. He started sharing some stories um, that were extremely moving. Stories where um, individuals had died and died younger than they anticipated. And so their family was left with nothing. And he told some heart-wrenching stories. And then he started telling some stories of people that had life insurance and how in their moment of grief and their deepest amount of despair, he was able to show up at their funeral with a check. He said, and it, it doesn't bring any type of solace, but the idea that their loved one had been intentional, had planned, it somehow takes the sharpness off the grief. It was compelling. There was no question he believed in what he was selling. It tears in his eyes at some points. I thought, man, this is moving. And so I said, well, why are you here today? And he said, because once I realized the depth of the pain that people feel in those moments, how could I not start with everybody I know, everybody that I love, to tell them there's a way to avoid that pain? It's like, wow. I thought, it's kind of shameful that I don't live my life that way in sharing the gospel. And so I said, man, that's really moving. I said, I have a question for you. He goes, okay. I said, you've spent all of this time and energy in preparing for this moment of death. How much time and energy and intention have you spent thinking about what happens in the moments after your death? And he's like, what? I said, it's one thing to leave somebody cash, but wouldn't it be something else to leave them the peace of an awareness of where you're spending eternity. Have you thought about your eternity? And he seemed like I dumped a bucket of cold water over his head. He's like, I, I, I haven't thought about it. And I said, well, I think I would be remiss if I didn't tell everybody that I love and care about about the importance and the implications of eternity associated with this life. So you've given me some things to think about that honestly I hadn't thought about in regards to this life and the temporal reality. But I want to challenge you to consider the eternal implications of the way you live your life. So we had um, several conversations, and the cool thing is I, I actually had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord, and um, he had the opportunity some weeks later, uh, days later actually, to call me nervous because he, um, <laughs> he had had this encounter with the Lord that was so profound and real that he felt in the same way that he had to tell people about insurance, he had to tell people about eternity. And so he went and told his fiance, and he said, so I'm telling her right now all the things that you told me, but now I don't know what to do. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I asked her if she wants to pray that prayer, to make a decision, you know, to cross that line of faith. And she said, yes. And I was like, okay. He goes, so what do I do now? I go, pray with her. He's like, I don't know what to pray with her. I was like, where is she? He goes, she's staring right at me. Neither of us know what to do. <laughs> so I had him put me on speakerphone. We had this amazing conversation and I later had the opportunity to actually marry them to one another. And it's this amazing story of God's redemption when we stop thinking about this plane and we start thinking about eternal things. And so this morning, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I've got nothing to gain. I want you to consider eternal things. If you leave this place with nothing else except the consideration of what 
eternally matters, then I feel that we've done exactly what it is that Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to do. To consider what it looks like to live according to the gospel. You see, because if you're lucky, you'll live 120 years on this earth. About that much. In light of eternity. And we live as if this much matters more than all of that. More than all of eternity. Are you living in such a way that you have eternity in mind or are you thinking just about the temporal? Does the gospel inform the overall purpose and intention of your life? What informs the decisions that you make? Do your goals reflect that? What are your goals? What are they? Because listen, I don't want to tell you this morning that you have to throw them out. Because it's not, like I said, it's not like, oh, dirty, dirty goal. Oh my gosh. What? You want to do that? That doesn't matter in light of eternity. No. I think that when God places something in your heart and in your mind and you think, I would love to, to be a professional athlete. I would love to, to be able to, to be debt-free. I would love to, you name whatever the goal is that you whispered in your heart and your mind. But here's the thing. Can you redeem that? Can you redeem it this morning? In other words, you don't have to surrender temporal goals if you can redeem them. Redeeming temporal goals means this. I want to be a professional athlete so I can proclaim the truth of the gospel at the highest level with the loudest voice so that God gets all the glory. Not like somebody that sits there's like, hey, man, I just, God gets all the glory. Like, not that type of professional athlete. I'm talking about somebody that can articulate the truth of the gospel to millions of people that are listening. And when they look into the camera and they say, listen, my identity is not this. My identity is child of the living God. And because of, who he, because of who he is and what he's done in my life, I can live my life fully. And so whether I win or lose out on the field today, it doesn't matter because I'm a child of the living God. That's what I'm talking about. Someone that redeems a goal. And the list goes on because some of you are saying, listen, I want to be debt-free. Do you want to be debt-free so you just be lazy? You just quit your job? Or do you want to be debt-free so you can flood the kingdom with resources? So that you can be a person that lives on mission, that, that sees a need and in the name of the gospel says, I want to meet that need so that God be glorified. Not so, I don't even want anybody to know my name. But can you just do that? Can you meet that need? You see what I'm talking about? We, we have goals that are so temporal. Who cares about the stuff? Who cares about this window of life that's this big unless we're going to live for the sake of the gospel that I might save some? I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul's living on purpose, with intention, not instant gratification. God, would you bless me so that I can be a blessing? living on mission. Paul's writing to a community that has games that are second only to the Olympics. We've talked about it in the past if you've been here for any weeks prior. And so although it might seem kind of odd that he jumps from this idea of doing everything for the sake of the gospel to running a race, it might be confusing to us, but it makes a ton of sense in the context of the people he's speaking to. He's talking to a community with these games that literally take over their society. And so he speaks in their language. In verse 25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. A wreath around their head. So much sacrifice. For what? A wreath. It's gonna rot. It's gonna turn to dust. And then he says, but we, an imperishable one but we in imperishable. What it is that we run for is eternal. It's not temporal. The things we lean into, 
or the things we ought to lean into are eternal. And so when he says athlete here, every athlete exercises self-control. Athlete is actually where we get the word agonize. Isn't that interesting? To agonize. In fact, um, I think it's Timothy. I might be wrong. Fight the good fight. Is that right? Okay, thank you. So when Timothy says, we fight the good fight, it literally translates, we agonize the good agony. Isn't that interesting? That we're literally agonized. To be an athlete is to agonize, to struggle. And so what Paul is talking about is something that they understand very well because in order to participate in the Corinthian games, you had to take a vow that you had been in strict training for 10 months prior. And others had to verify that they saw you struggle and agonize with your flesh. There had to be evidence of your struggle. There had to be evidence of your agony. Or you'd be disqualified before competing. And so Paul goes on, verse 27, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Listen, this is not about being disqualified as a Christian. Don't allow your mind to go to, okay, I have to change my goals. I have to live for Jesus. And if not, I'm going to hell. I'll try harder. I'll be a better Christian. I promise. I didn't mean to want the game station. Like, it's not about that. That's not what's happening here. Paul's not talking about his salvation on the line. It's done. Jesus died for you and for me. He paid the price that you could not pay. You see, Jesus went and felt the deepest agony that any of us could ever feel. He paid the price for our sins so that when we decide to to bow our heads and to pray a prayer and say, Lord, would you come and be the leader of my life? Would you forgive me of the sins of my life? That the God of heaven allows us to be his child and we're forgiven. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about his Christianity or his identity as a Christ follower being in the, in the uh, <coughs> lost my train of thought. His identity as a Christian being lost or up for grabs. This is what he's talking about. Paul is saying as a child of God, he doesn't want to disqualify himself from being able to spread the gospel. So he's talking about not disqualifying himself from having a voice. Some of us, in moments of self-gratification, make decisions that limit our capacity to have a voice to spread the gospel. In a moment of stupidity, we participate in something that is sinful and idiotic, and in that moment, we become everyone else around us. And we disqualify our ability to speak the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. Guard yourself. Beat your body into submission. Agonize over the reality of what's at stake. And here's the beauty of it all. In a society that loves authenticity, we have the ability to go back to those same people in the midst of our stupid decision and say, hey, listen, I made a mistake before. That's not who I am. I'm trying to work out this thing. I'm trying to work out the fact that I want to be different. And so you're going to see me not participate in that again. In fact, as friends, I want to ask you that if I start to participate in that, that maybe you'd remind me of what I'm telling you today, that I want to be different. You see, all too often we disqualify ourselves from spreading the gospel, but it's the truth of grace and the truth of mercy and the truth of the cross that says you're not one and done. You haven't burned that bridge. So you're a little sinful? Welcome to the club. You're in the right room. 
We are all sinners saved by grace. And so we have to choose. We have to choose to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in the sanctification of what it is that God is doing in and through my life. And I'm going to beat my body into submission by telling it the truth of the gospel so that I might win some. God, would you leverage the goals of my life for eternal things? Can I live beyond this plane? Will my life matter for something more than just the the beating of wind, the running of race? He's living with eternal intention beyond his personal salvation. How about you? For some of you, Maybe this morning starts with a decision to follow Christ. For some of you, you say, I can't can't leverage my life for something eternal because I'm still living for me. I haven't really asked Jesus to come and be the Lord and leader of my life because I'm concerned about the implications of that. For others of us in this room, are you moving forward in your faith? Are you living with intention that's literally pushing the truth of the gospel forward? What gospel-centered God risks are you taking? Just like an athlete starts with five pounds and one lap, where have you started? Maybe one minute of prayer every morning? Read one verse of the Bible a day? Are you moving forward? Five minutes and maybe a chapter. Maybe for some of you it's to start tithing. Maybe for others of you it's to start serving. For some of you it's to redeem the current goals of your life, to live on mission. To say, you know what, I'm going to bring my kids to the games. It's okay, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be present. I don't have to feel guilty about that because when I go to those games, I'm going to show up with stuff for the whole team so that I might be able to have a voice to, to communicate the truth of the gospel to their parents or maybe even to them. I'm going to change my perspective of what it is that I do and how it is that I do. I'm going to redeem the goals of my life. I'm not going to get in this rat race of this game that happens over and over and over and over again. Instead, I'm going to redeem it so that every time I go to something, God's getting the glory. God's getting the glory. I'm spreading the gospel. I've turned this into an eternal effort. I don't know what it looks like for you this morning, but I know that the text requires something for every single one of us. Every single one of us this morning. And so I have a question for you to consider as we're beginning to respond. The application question I have is this. What am I spending my time, talent, and treasure on? Consider that. As you leave this place, if you're here with a a spouse or a friend, or if you just need to journal about it, what is it that I'm spending my time, talent, and treasure on? Is it eternal? If not, how can I redeem it? How can I redeem it for the spreading of the gospel? Here at Centerway, we have a because and therefore that goes like this. You'll see it projected. Because God gave us everything, we value generosity. Therefore, we're open-handed and happily go above and beyond with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We steward our spiritual gifts and serve. We are contributors not consumers. That's who we are. Not because of our efforts, but because of who God is. Because God gave us everything, therefore it requires something from us. And so I want to challenge you to maybe rearrange some 2019 goals. Let's be honest, you probably forgot about them by now anyway. So revisit them. How do you return, how do you redeem them? Is God asking you to consider something far more missional than you ever anticipated? That you take that goal and leverage it towards eternity? God has a plan. He has a plan for you. 
He's gifted you uniquely. Don't waste it on something that's just going to rot. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. As you bow your heads this morning, I want you to consider what your application might be. Maybe it is to cross that line of faith. And if it is, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love after the service to be able to talk to you about the implications of that decision, but it starts with a simple prayer. You can pray right in your seat right now. Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know you died for me. You forgive me my sins. Be the Lord and leader of my life. That's how it starts. I'd love to talk to you about your next steps if you prayed that prayer this morning. For others of us in this room, I want you to consider what does it look like to take your goals that are temporal and redeem them towards something eternal? I want to tell you, when you leverage your life for what God wants to see done on this earth, you will be amazed at the way that snowballs how all of a sudden, when you're in line with the heart and mind of Christ, how doors will open, how relationships will start. God will do something greater than you can hope or imagine, not because he wants you to be glorified or lifted up, but because he wants all men and women to come to know him. And you have the opportunity to participate in that. Because he has a plan for you because he wove you together in your mother's womb. It's a plan and a purpose. So this morning, we're going to sing a, a new song. It's more of a declaration, really, than it is a worship song. And I want you to consider as we go into this song the words of it. The chorus says, all I know is everything I have means nothing. Jesus, if you're not my one thing, everything I have means nothing. Jesus, if you're not my one thing. So I just ask you to stand to your feet. Consider what it looks like to make Jesus your one thing. Maybe make this declaration as we sing together. And lead us in a prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that you'd seal in our hearts and minds what it is that you would have us to be about. That you'd rearrange the priorities of our heart and life so that we could see eternal implications attached to what it is we put our effort into for your glory and truly for our joy. Let's declare this together this